Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Chris Duffus, founder and CEO at PhoneBank. PhoneBank is a new distributed finance company enabling a frictionless financial on-ramp for emerging markets. He's raised over $5 million in seed money and has already over a half million dollars in revenue. And he's already had three fintech exits, including I founded Veet Money that was acquired by Roundly X, and he founded Leaf College Savings that was acquired by SoFi. Chris, excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Alex. Thank you for having me. So I'm excited. This is, this is interesting because this is your fourth company. So I'm curious... When, when you're thinking about rolling out a new company and launching something new, how do you really think about go-to-market as a strategy and putting it all together when, when starting your first company or starting a company? So I'll give you a bit of my background from a experience in go-to-market and in the tech space. I first started back in the late, the early 2000s during the dot-com boom and we had what was called an ASP, Application Service Provider, which is now referred to as SaaS. And our client was, clients were like governments and banks, right? We had one of the first payment platforms or gateways as they're referred to nowadays, selling to regulated clients. The US Treasury was, was our first customer and we enabled citizens to, to pay fees, fines, taxes online. And then we could wanted to replicate this across other uh, state governments, there's only one U.S. federal government, and as well as their channel relationships, so banks that might sell to state and local governments and other regulated uh, institutions. That's really, really hard, right? <laughs> and so as you think about sort of what, and, and it wasn't, you know, maybe like it is today where people buy point payment solutions or payment systems. Back in those days, that was what's called a solution sale, right? So it was part of some broader, you know, enterprise resource management play, or, you know, there's some business transformation thing within these institutions where payments was a piece of it or a type of payments, whether it's not just credit card payments or ACH, it was, you know, maybe type of electronic bill presentment type solution. And so you had to align yourself with all these different partners and there was no sort of single decision maker. So it made it, made it really difficult. Fast forward, you know, you have sort of web web two and this whole microservices and one click integrations and everything. And I thought to myself, there had to be a much easier way to go about it. And so, you know, uh, I was having a discussion one day with a someone who had a successful sort of SaaS business. And I'm like, well, how do you go to market? What's your distinction on sort of defining who, who your customers are? And he's like, dude, I use social media because like, my customers, I don't think about them as an enterprise, they're just people. And so if you can get those people and and potentially even maybe design your product where people can use them, then you could sell in mediums that enable sort of individual purchase or consumption, and then which can then lead to enterprise type sales. And I've taken that to heart. And with phone bank, you know, you might look at our website and, and even be able to use our application as a consumer. But fundamentally, what we're creating is a type of infrastructure uh, or utility that is used by enterprises that benefit their customers in the same way that consumers might benefit one-off using our our app or distributed app widget. That's interesting. See, when I when I look back at kind of the companies that you've built, I mean, you've Leave College Savings was was tied directly to consumers. I mean phone banks tied is going after consumers that that often can be considered an expensive play right there's oftentimes there's a lot of ads that are associated with that and there's a high kind of paid acquisition when you think about kind of the beginning stages of your company obviously you have your idea but what do you think about when it comes to kind of acquiring those initial customers uh, and really being able to kind of truly find product market fit, like getting enough traction to be able to prove there's something here. Like, how, how do you go about doing that? So, 
and it depends on the, the level of founder that you are, but I, I still think, and I've been at it 20 years, I still think it's really difficult to get to some, to get someone to sign up their business to use your service unless it's a small business and it's sort of an individual one-off sale. The second, a decision maker uh, has to delegate certain types of responsibilities to other people. They're not making the decision themselves, even if it's a CEO, right? And so my recommendation for entrepreneurs looking to go to market with a new idea is figure out a way in which a consumer can, can buy it and benefit from it, even if that consumer is in a business, right? You know, developer tools are a perfect example of that, right? If you can make the, if you can sell, you know, a, an individual, you know, even it might, it might be a company card that he makes a purchase on, but he uses it individual and is an individual contributor, then, you know, that's the way to go to start. And it might, to your point, it might be really expensive early on, but you get a ton of invaluable feedback that way, which if you uh, amortize that acquisition cost on, a, on all those other development costs, it's probably not an, as an expensive an acquisition as you know, you spending a couple of years building something in a vacuum without actual real customers using your product. I think that's an interesting point because so much of sales is people to people. And so if yeah. you are going to solve a specific person's problems, like you really need to understand them, understand what their role is, what they do, how they, how they kind of interact with other departments. And, and you, whether it's a, a business to consumer play or a business to business type of play, you really need to understand like, what is it that that person is going to win from buying your solution? What is the person going to all of a sudden not have to deal with because of your solution? That's, that's really interesting. When you look back and you kind of compare like from Leaf College Savings to Veet Money to, to even Phone Bank now, like how is the, how is your kind of change and go to market shifted and in, in, in perception over how to actually attack the market shifted? <laughs> in a big way. I used to I used to look at things, you know, or go to market in the case of like Leaf in that. Like, oh, we originally were doing these one-off enterprise sales. And, and then I was like, well, I'm going to get like the biggest channels that I can get. And I'm going to, you know, convince the channel and they're going to do everything for me. And all what I realized is I just, you know, bought like a big bag of potatoes. And now I got to peel all the potatoes, you know, in order to, to make French fries. Right. And, you know, with phone bank, what we've created is we're really a parasite model, right? You know, think about like, you know, a, a tapeworm or a, a flea or a mosquito, maybe not that appetizing, but they live off their big fat hosts. And if they're fat, I could, I just want a little piece of it. And so we created a model that lives on top of the existing global telecommunications infrastructure and specifically their billing system. And if you can top up your mobile phone, you know, we effectively created just an app that sits on top that creates this new functionality, effectively converting that value into a form of uh, payment, right? And even linking that to different payment networks and rims. But it's really just a piece of software that improves the functionality of an existing thing. And I don't need the permission of that mobile operator to do that. I just need the, to convince that customer to do that. And, and, you know, it's a scenario now where we've created this thing where one plus one equals not just two, but like three or four, and we're trying to make it 10. Uh, mm. And so it's not too hard to convince people. And we might even give them a little taste of that, what that incentive is and, or provide them an additional incentive to, to sort of bootstrap that adoption. And it's worked really well. This by far has been the largest sort of user base that I've I've grown, enterprise or consumer, and we've done it at like global scale. And Lily is technically actually from the edge of my kitchen table in Washington D.C. during COVID. That's wild. 
And so phone bank right now is mainly in or, or fully in Africa. So that's that's kind of the play. That's and right. and if I understand correctly, so you're going and you're hopping on all the different telecom providers that are out there. Obviously, there's no there's nobody that has like wired in internet and phone systems. And so much of that is, is mobile. So it's how do you actually accept payments, transfer money, that type of thing. And so what you're saying is, is you've been able to integrate with these telecom giants to be able to then push out to the millions of people who are in Africa to be able to leverage your service. Was there, was it just open and that you could just hop on and you could do your thing? And then now you're focusing on just like getting the consumers to actually do it? Or was there an actual sales process where you had to go to these telecom providers and actually sell them on saying, hey, let me do this, dot, 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 you'll, you know, you'll reap the benefits down the road. Like, how did, how did that actually work out? <laughs> well, first off, it was the latter. I'd, I'd still be at the end of my kitchen table trying to get uh, an appointment with any of these folks, or I would have flown all over the world and probably gotten a bad case of malaria by now and with nothing to show for it. No, I'll give you a great, I mean, changing subjects or changing topic a little bit, but it's a case study that's very relevant to this. So, uh, you know, if your uh, viewers are familiar with Plaid, you know, they're an analogous type of of model uh, in the U.S. where, you know, we think about Plaid as like, you know, that thing that allows that's that links to your bank account, right? And it, as a layperson, you might think that, oh, they went around and they did all these deals with, with banks and the banks allowed them to get access to users' accounts and do all this information. No, what they did was they mapped out um, essentially the user interface schemas of bank accounts and they productized that in their database. And then they, based on user permissions, they then allowed the user to give them access to the account to extract information and to provide that sort of open banking service. And, and then as they grew, that sort of added more and more data sets for them to provide the service to the end, to end consumers or the developers that use the service for their consumers. And, and, and then, then they created an SDK that the developers used and, and, and added to their apps. Well, but again, the operative point, it's user permission based, right? Based. And so that's effectively what we've done in our go-to-market is we created this software and we can look at a user's phone and enable certain functionality that the carrier allows a user to perform themselves. And the user just gives us permission to do it. And then we enable certain types of transactions to occur uh, with the with the software on behalf of the user. And But the net effect is the same one would have taken like, you know, infinity to execute and the other, if I can, you know, I can co-op someone with, you know, tens of cents to let me access their account to, to so that they can get the money. Well, now I have, you know, their information and then I can, I can perform transactions on their behalf. But again, there's a, tr there's a trust thing, but you know, of course. Our, our business is trust and we want to do right by the consumer because that's how we win. So I, I think that I, I think that the big question then that I would have is, is so how do you find all these people? Because there and and then how do you actually go from there? Because obviously scale is is the key here. No one single you know customer is really going to ever be the one that like makes you your money or makes the company invaluable. The whole point is to be able to say, hey, you're you know you're you're valuable in numbers. How have you been able? And and I know that we you you and I talked beforehand about viral loops, and, and you're big on it. But like before you even get to that point, like how do you even get that that initial trust to be created, especially in a in a financial product, right? Like their most trusted asset is their money, and to say, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna connect into this, and I let, let's hope let's hope for the best. I give you the benefit of the doubt here, or like how how are you able to win the first customers? So a lot. So specifically in Sub-Saharan Africa, mobile data costs are very expensive. And, and what most people don't realize is that there's most people on the planet use prepaid as the way that they pay for their mobile bill every month, not postpaid as we do in the States. And many are actually even running deficit balances, right? Just like we have credit card balances, they might have, you know, 
be in debt to the mobile carrier. Excuse me. And so we actually gave away really small amounts of mobile credit or to top up their phone if they perform certain actions in our user workflow. And I'm not talking about like $10 or $20. I'm talking about like, you know, 10 cents or 20 cents. Right. Wow. And, and it was actually was a very engagement incentive or very effective incentive or engagement tool to get people to complete registrations and perform their first sets of transactions and other behaviors in order for them to cash, cash that out. And then it worked so well, third parties came to us and we're like, Hey, could you onboard people into our ecosystem? And I was like, sure, you know, pay me a buck or two or more, and we'll, we'll lead these people to you. And so that's sort of a, uh, has been a, a core part of our model and where we've um, developed so far. And it's, you know, it, Africa, the continent is a very big place. Each country is very different and it's hard for companies to go to market there or, or different, like uh, we're in the crypto space, crypto projects to go to market there. So, you know, just because you have an office in one country, well, that's like, that's like saying, you know, we have an office in Mexico city and we want to cover the, all of the Americas, right? Like, okay, that's great. But you know, East coast is different than West coast, of the United States. And yet then you have Canada, you know, yeah. what about the Caribbean? What about central Latin America or South America, you know? So, but this was the one thing that it was common across the continent and many of the countries from a behavior standpoint, you know, people didn't have a lot of money. Mobile data costs really expensive. You know, the way I described it to one of our investors one time is imagine you drove a Humvee, uh, God bless you, but, and <laughs> you, you're driving down the highway and someone's like, you're giving away free gasoline. You're going to do a U-turn and get off the next exit and find that gas station to pump up as much as you can. Sure. That's interesting. So you've been able to just grow through those types of strategies and then inbound from kind of the awareness of that has has generated even more interest for you. So how how did you know as far as like the partners to come on? Like, how did you know or vet them as far as like, hey, this is worthwhile to do? Because I would imagine there's technical resources, salespeople, product. I mean, there's resources that are need to be dedicated to kind of figuring that out. And so, so much of kind of what you have is like, you have all these options in front of you and how you want to grow your business. And I think one of the hardest things when you're at kind of that earliest stage, when you're starting to get some good traction is shiny objects kind of get thrown at you from all these different areas. How did you know that like, this was the, the way to go? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Most of the shiny objects emanated from my head. I <laughs> am not a loss for ideas. It's it's the exact opposite. I I need to find focus. And and ultimately and I have a great business partner who grounds me and that's why we're a great team. And but a lot of it's like, you know, it's you know, that simple adage, show me the money, right? And so if people were willing to, you know, pay us for that type of service that that's, hey, we can make this a priority for us on our product roadmap and provide you a, a you know, a service level around that execution. That and, makes sense. But in, it, but in so doing, it has, it's helped us mature as a, a product, as well as in a team organization to support these types of customers, which has then sort of led to the development of our, our next, you know, generation of products that, you know, allows us to then scale kind of what we did before on a, you know, sort of doing things serially. Now we can do things in parallel and have, you know, dozens of different clients like that and in not a custom way, but in a configured way that's, you know, unique to their respective ecosystems. Do you, so do you have anything that's, that's kind of a, like a formal process? Cause I mean, a lot of the a lot of the, the the companies and the teams that I work with typically around Series A, founder-led sales, transitioning out, 
And a lot of times I'll come in and you look at it and you go, I can't decide if we should go this way. I can't decide if we go that way. Sometimes there's multiple products and they're struggling to figure out which one goes first. Might have competing different types of features and things or sales strategies. How have you been able to like actually say like, let's kill some projects or maybe let's put them on the, the shelf for a minute. Like, do you, do you have any advice as far as or, or figured out like, you're the idea guy. You're found, your 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 partner is able to kind of rail you in. But like, how have you been able to like build that in such a way to say, let's not just focus on discussion, but let's actually execute and move forward. Yeah, I mean, again, it, you want to be customer driven, and I think us founders have a tendency sometimes to be myopic, you know, about this shiny new product that we built and how it's the best best mousetrap and you know everybody else is whispering behind the scenes or you know snickering when we are rolling eyes and you know getting frustrated and calling customers stupid because they're like they're not getting it blah 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 you know it's what i, I i'd even say like the recommendation i would give is all our products in many respects are in a state of flux, right? They're way more mature this year than they were last year or when we first started and had sort of, you know, our, our actually our first go to market was a Facebook messenger bot, right? <laughs> so, you know, I call that sort of the unproduct, but it, it was, it was effective, you know, it helped us raise our seed financing and enabled product discovery, customer discovery, product market fit, and financing. Whatever you build, note that it actually should be an, an incomplete solution, at least in an absolute sense and in a uh, relative sense to where you ultimately will be. And the reason being is you always want to leave room to, to specifically provide a solution for a customer, right? If it's too perfect, complete, well, you can't build, go in one direction or another, right? But if you have, and, and I'd even describe it as like, before you actually even have a product, you need like a product framework, right? So what I mean by that is like, you know, this is, this is, this is slideware. This is what's your value proposition. What are you ultimately trying to do or benefit your customers in, in your intended market, right? And if they can, if you can get them a customer to agree on that, then whatever the software is, you can like get there, right? You can build it on the fly. You can, you know, they know that it's, it might be imperfect today, but this is your vision and that's what you're working towards it, you know? And, and the great thing about software is that with enough time and resources, you're, you're, you're going to get there. Right. And if you have a paying customer who's giving you time, you can build it for that. And guess what? That's like the ideal scenario. And so, you want to create this framework that allow gives you flexibility to give the customer what they want. It almost makes it so simple and straightforward. It's just all the com complexity and, and other stuff that happens al along the way that you just have to be very disciplined. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and making yeah. it and making it not work. So I want I want to jump back into into phone bank. So you create this product, you push it out, you're starting to get users, you're giving away five, ten cents, get users, all of a sudden you're starting to generate some inbound. I know that you're a big fan of viral loops. Can you can you give the audience just like a maybe a, a quick explanation of what you mean by viral loops and then just how you've been able to to leverage them and maybe an example of how you've been able to le leverage them? So, you know, the easiest example of that is referral programs, right? The best advertising is a customer. And the easiest way to get a customer to advertise for you is to pay them, right? But you have to bake that into your product, you know? And depending upon the type of product, uh, obviously, like, you know, that, that concept doesn't work for most things, but it, you know, for anything consumer or things like payment, consumer type payments, it's, it's perfect. Right. So I do think it's something you kind of have to build in. And in today's social world, people 
I think look at that as a type of validation for your product. Like, how did I learn about it? Well, I got five invites from, you know, different people. Maybe I should check this out, right? Versus, you know, seeing an ad on YouTube or TikTok of some random person, you know, because the other aspect of this sort of baking in virality and viral loops into your, your product is there's a direct response component to it that isn't necessarily the case with advertising. It is more so now digital advertising, but you know, it, and the call to action is way cleaner. It's like, dude, just sign up. You'll, you're going to get paid, try it out. Right. And Consumer marketing, I think it's, you know, it is, it, it, there's a lot of complexities to it, but ultimately it's like just a really simple call to action. And, but unfortunately we as the marketers aren't necessarily the best people to do that. And it up, comes down to people that they know. And so that's why I think it's real important. And so, you know, bake it in. I, I mean, I, I have plenty more examples per se, but I, I think yeah. these are unique to each person, each business, whether it be consumer or enterprise or enterprises that deal with individuals. So you have to think about what those what those are. And and it could be like, you know, I'll you'll get a, a gift certificate at Starbucks if you refer five people or you get a, you know, Cubs tickets if you, you know, perform X actions as an you know enterprise contributor, right? You know, so you have to know your market. And and then the other aspect of it is too, that I think really helps is we set up originally WhatsApp group and Telegram groups. You know how expensive it is to fly to Sub-Saharan Africa and any, any of the countries there? Crazy expensive. And so there's no way that we could have cost effectively got there for any type of customer, customer discovery. So part of this viral loop, because people need encouragement, like the, you know, hey, we set up, you know, we set up these communication channels that allowed us for for free to have real time communications with all our different customer stakeholders and, you know, wow. be there on call, you know, to to address any of their questions. And so even though we were on the other side of the world, they knew we're real people. Right. I share yeah. pictures of my dog, you know, who I was. They, you know, they could they know how to contact me. I hear Chris, you know. I have an issue with such and such. I still get a ton of telegrams and WhatsApps and emails. You know, I try to answer most of them, and especially if they're, if you know, if they're legitimate or well, you know, well thought out, yeah. you know, if they're meaningful. But, uh, you know, but I think that's a big part of it too. It's like, what is that, that old adage? No trust, no need, no hurry. So if you have a, a genuine, authentic sort of energy and accessibility coupled with virality people are gonna like no they're like hey these are real people uh, i'm gonna get something out of it they're here to stand by their product that's really interesting so the so the key for you has been to essentially not only pay people to sign up but then you pay them to refer their friends and then their friends sign up and there's just then that's what you mean by that viral loop and then more people get referred so i guess thinking about why why do you think it's been as so successful because i know you're a huge fan of this i guess looking at it on both sides is people come up with referral programs all the time i mean i i could i could list a dozen companies right now that have a referral program that literally produces nothing for themselves like what why are the ones that succeed versus the ones that don't succeed is it just who gets paid i think you know, people don't follow through on it. And it's the same thing as like even, you know, <laughs> think about it. What, what is a channel deal other than a referral program, right? You're, you know, so it, it's been in existence in the, in the enterprise space. You, you do have to pay people. You do have to do it consistently. You can't be capricious about it. You know, some days you're going to lose. Other days you're going to win, right? Hopefully more days you win than you lose. But the common denominator is consistency. And, but, you know, I tell you what you're going to pay for and you're not going to get necessarily, not necessarily going to get a return any, any type of digital advertising, right? 
And so that's sort of your benchmark, whatever you're paying in ads, you know, if you can pay less in referrals, well, you should do more referrals because at the end of the day, people are actually using your product on the referral side, you know, versus ads where you're just writing a big check to Mr. Zuckerberg, yeah. you know, and, but at the end of the day, that's what, that's what you as a company want. You want pe more people to use your product, test it out. Cause that's, that's how you win. And if it's a good product, well, more people are going to use it then more people are going to refer it to it. And at the end of the day, you know, part of this viral, it's a, it's a, um, a virtuous cycle, right? If you're using your product and you've improved, you're listening, you improve your product, they refer it, you improve it, you, you listen, you improve it, they refer it, you know, it gets better, right? And then that flywheel, there's enough wind in there where, you know, they get utility out of it. And that's, that's I would imagine it's a, it's a pretty great way to be able to get like about as straightforward feedback from your customers as possible. It's probably a great way for leadership to be able to, I mean, you as the CEO and founder are, are, are on WhatsApp and Telegram and all these, you know, actual messages to see it firsthand. I mean, what better way to truly understand from, from like an inside company perspective? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, we have a pretty unique organization in, in terms of the type of customer base in, you know, we're, pro we're providing tools to address financial inclusion. So I, the people that we, our customers, our partners on the ground there, they're not, they're not wealthy, at least from Western standards, right? Like. I see a ton of flip-flops on dirt floors or roads in, you know, not, not so developed areas and, you know, but they have, and this is part of the success of our business is that they have these, these telecommunications tools that allow them and allow us to communicate globally in real time and, and connect as human beings. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty powerful thing. But if you can, if you can have those connections, you can be, you can be everywhere, right? This is what, like, even what we're doing right now, this wasn't necessarily the case. So I also think too, like I said, like every company's product organization is, is different though. Obviously there's a lot of similarities, but you know, from a, you know, from a, a strategy principles standpoint, more communicating with your customers, stakeholders better than less communicating with them or more feedback loops is better than less. And that's another aspect of your product development cycle and planning and just features that you, you need to bake in. Like no one wants to go into a store and there's no people there and it looks icy and cold. It's true. Well, so to your point there, like walk me through a little bit about how you structure your team because if you're going to have all these people who are going to be on WhatsApp and Telegram, I mean, you got to have messages coming in all the time. You're talking about viral loops. You're talking about partners. I mean, walk me through a little bit about not only the team, but like, how do you think about hiring for set, for such a, a young, you know, early startup? I, I, I know you well enough that you've had a couple of mishires. You've had a couple of people who are like excellent and you know the difference. Like how, how do you get the, the mishires to be, smaller and the winners to, to have a larger percentage. We, we actually have take a long time to hire people and what, how that might work is we'll, you know, we obviously have standards, we have processes. My partner and I, we talk all the time and, you know, we talk about sort of the, what an ideal candidate in, in our organization is who, who is the, I, who are the ideal candidates, you know, we don't want to replicate ourselves. I think diversity is, is, is very important from a, a skill set standpoint, a location standpoint, a personality standpoint. So, and, and then part of, part of that time is we design sort of the test, right? Whether that be a, an actual coding test, but in many cases it's, I asked, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm really busy today and I'm going to talk to you on my mobile phone. Would you mind scheduling our next meeting? And, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people don't 
or can't do that. And it's like, oh, do you really want this job? You know, and it's not asking you to be, you know, the assistant per se, but sometimes you do have to, we're a small company, right? I'm literally like chief bottle washer, cook, you know, bathroom cleaner, as well as CEO. And, and so, you know, you got to wear a lot of different hats at any, at any one time. And every, anyone could be doing anybody's job and, and, you know, kind of have to have that mindset coming in. So, you know, we, we try to be good. We we're careful hires and, you know, we, you know, probably not as good as fires as we need to be, but that's, you know, I also think as startups, you're not sometimes, you know, you, you don't get the luxury that you do. And, and this works, this can be interpreted a lot of different ways. If you're a bigger organization with a huge capital or payroll budget and so forth. So, you know, you got to take who you can take, who's going to work with you. Right. And how have you been able to, how have you been able to actually structure the team today? Is it, is it, I mean, is it still founder everybody or are you starting to put in kind of the different parts of the departments to, to support like, for example, different parts of departments, you know, one thing I will say is we're mobile first. And so we have sort of functional pods. So we have our sort of development group and pod. We have our business development organization and we have certain projects that people from each of those groups have to then sort of lead throughout all the different functional areas of the organization. And we literally have, whether it's, you know, all the messaging services that you can think of. And so part of our rule is like, you know, uh, you can contact anybody anytime, right? There's no sacred horses around that. You know, obviously if I, if I tell you like it's, I'm sleeping or I'm on vacation or something like we try to, we, we, we stick with those, but you know, during working hours and whatever you've said, like you got to talk to them. There's no, yeah. you know, you can't just say, Hey, I emailed them and they didn't respond to me, you know? Right. This isn't, you know, the nineties calling, this is, you know, 2023, you can communicate with anybody on multiple different platforms. And if they're not responding, you know, probably hire someone to come and knock on their door. And, and that can. even <laughs> note to self, maybe a new idea, <laughs> uh, but like actually where that comes in, comes into play is like these same developers, we have a team in Eastern Europe, fucking rock stars, but uh, you know, we have customers on the ground in Sub-Saharan Africa. And it's like, guys, you want to, you want to truncate a dev cycle, push it out, get one of those folks on the ground to test it. We, have, we do have sort of professional testers that we've hired, but you know, there might be some little things yeah. that it's like, Hey, I can just go in the group and say, you know, who wants $5 to test this version of a product? You know, and they can do that literally 24 seven, 365. And usually someone's there to, to raise their Interesting. hand. And again, you know, you get real customers to test your using your product. Those stats count on our KPIs. And I'd rather, I'd rather pay them than some firm that's using the product yeah. in a, you know, some non-production <laughs> environment. So I'm I'm curious. It sounds like you've had quite quite the success, at least to date, with your strategy. What do you think outside of language? Because I know that that one's going to be a, an easy one to choose. But what do you think is one of the biggest hurdles from a go to market standpoint that you've had to overcome with phone bank? And then maybe how did you actually overcome it? There's actually there's a, there's a lot actually, but you know. I, the overcoming part is the, is, is how it, there's a, a commonality in it. Some of it's brute force time zones, I think is a big one. And just because like, you know, six hours ahead, you have team distributed teams, distributed customers, you know, and so different cultures, even amongst our customers, like, you know, you have Muslims, you have Christians, you know, 
like you can't schedule certain types of calls dur during the same times of day, different holidays, et cetera. Interesting. So a lot of it is, but you know, to a certain, but how you get over that is like, there's a certain amount of like always being on it's unfortunate, you know, like, it's like, I wish I could rest at some date, but you know, on the flip side, I kind of like always being on in some form or fashion. And yeah. I think as, as the glue, you know, I've had to step up and, you know, it's like, oh, no one's able to complete this test. So I'm like, well, I'll, I'll test it or let's, let's find Muhammad in Kaduna state in Nigeria. You know, let me WhatsApp him. Let's do it. And I'll be the other, the counterpart on that test. So a lot of, a lot of brute force, <laughs> you know, <laughs> staying up late. But, but again, these are the things of, of a startup and what I really disdain is just inertia, right? The thing I always hated about working in large companies is that people like, you know, they'd be like, oh, well, I can't, Bob's not here. He's on vacation. And then it like, I just don't operate that way. Let's just get it done. Yeah. Right. If we got to work to the weekend. Okay. You know, yeah. like if I was Bob and I was on vacation and this was important to me, I'd, I'd be plugging in right now to fix this, you know? Interesting. So that, and, and that makes sense. So that, that leads me to my next question here. What, what are like one or two things to date that you would do differently if you could? And it, and it could be with phone bank. It could be with Vita, It could be with, with leaf. But like, when you think back about building these companies and you have a tremendous amount of experience, like, what would you do differently? Like, is there anything like an experience or an example or a scenario that like pops out specifically for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, with, with, Leaf, I wish we could have had a strategy more similar to what we're doing at, at, at phone bank today, where we took this consumer first and then leveraged that into the enterprise channel. We did, but we did we never baked in any of these viral components that I talk about today, which I thought were really important. I mean, I think, you know, and I look back at this in that we have this great product, great ethos. We're actually one of the first, if not the first company in this whole sort of what I call a higher ed financial wellness space where we provide these sort of uh, em employee benefits tools for college savings and student loan repayment. But we, we, we just thought that, oh, we just built a better product. People would just come and, and ask for it, you know, and pay us some crazy amount of money to use it, right? I never, we never really leveraged social, which I thought, you know, we were early in that. Like we, we, we developed it around the time Zenga was selling Farmville then. And I, I was like, and this is, this is one of the things, you know, maybe it's a partner issue, but this is one of the things that I, I, I look back on and I, I had this conversation and I'm like, you know, we should be selling college savings gift cards on Facebook, like. Zenga is trying to hawk, you know, Farmville. And he's like, oh, no, people are going to get upset. And, you know, what about, you know, regulators or people might sue us or something? I said, I said, come on. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, we, we were so convincing that we got someone to overspend on a child's college education. You That's know? so bad. Not so bad. <laughs> and, and so, you know, there, there are tactics and if applied in the right, for the right purpose, you know, people see the, you know, the value and, and sentiment of your actions around that. And yeah. I think right. that's, that's one thing we would, you know, I wish we could have done a little bit more with, with leave. And then in, in phone bank, you know, I think I've taken the approach of there's we have a really ambitious product strategy or vision. I describe it as like sort of boil the ocean, so to speak. So, you know, it, 
if this works, it can be really, really, really big. The problem is you can't just execute that all at once and even organically. And so there's a certain amount of patience that I've had to have, or we have to have as a team and, and obviously like laser priority and focus and, and every once in a while, there's going to be missteps in, in, in that just because you're taking these steps with, you know, not necessarily full knowledge or understanding. And so, you know, maybe I would have pushed, pushed for certain things a little bit sooner, but you know, hindsight being 2020, I can't like second guess that at, at, at this yeah. point. But, but, but I do think, again, it comes back to like, if, if there's a big enough problem that you're looking to solve, you know, it, it should, it'll wash itself out in the long run. But when you, when you think about both film bank and then your previous companies, I, I think about kind of scale and I think it's kind of a, a, a challenging term that I think most people use incorrectly or think that they're doing it when they're really not, or shouldn't be. In, in in your past companies, or when you think about phone bank, how do you know when to pour fuel on the fire and say, let's go? And how do you know that's like, you know what, we're making some bets, we need to actually pull back? Like, do you have an example where you're like, hey, I know I got this one right, or this is this is the bet, like, let's bet the farm on this whole thing, and you ended up being right? Well, I did this with our my very first exit company called Govolution, where we essentially provided the payment infrastructure for the treasury department. I drove the sales process to exit the company and we probably timed that, you know, at the best possible moment we could in, in the market, we even had a hiccup at the end. And if it wasn't the fact that wasn't for the fact that we had that sale process in place, it would have blown up everything. So timing, timing is everything. And, and, you know, we literally spent everything that we could to make that happen and it, and it worked, right? You know, how do you know timing is right? Cause I think, I think so much, I think it's, it's easy to say it depends, right? So many times that, you know, why'd you do this or why are you going to do this or whatever? And it, it's, it's going to be, it depends. It, there's no one size fits all, especially when it comes to building or selling companies. But I, I think about it as far as timing, are there signals that you've looked at to say, hey, this is the right time to make X decision or to sell this company or to raise money or outside of, hey, I'm going to run out of money. But like, how do you actually know timing's right for different different bets, specifically when it comes to, to kind of go to market? You know, for many of us that have Calendly and you know, have networks where kind of people know us and reach out. I, I think about it as my, my calendar and how full it is or isn't and how many new inbound leads I get, you know, for meetings, whether it's investors, whether it's customers, you know, like last year, my calendar was in the last 18 months, my calendar was like full with investors. Like I'd literally like guys, like I can't talk. I'm so booked, et cetera. This year, my calendar's full with customers, right? And, you know, I can always use more customers. I don't know about investors, but always more customers. And so, you know, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing. And, you know, at, at some point, it'll probably be in the reverse of that, you know, at least right. for me anyway. You know, it's probably what I need to get my, you know, head of business development. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to wrap up, but I, before we do, I want to make sure that I get to a couple of my favorite things to leave with the audience. Do you have a, a favorite book or a favorite resource that you recommend to founders kind of at the beginning stages of scaling up their company or, or really any type of advice as, as you've kind of gone the, gone the gauntlet? So one of my mentors was a philosophy major in, in college and a, a, a Marine captain. And he, he, he always used to tell me about how he'd spend time on ships and he would read a lot, right? Because there wasn't a lot to do back back then. And, and I was curious and, you know, what'd you read? And he's like, I, I, you know, sounds obvious since I told you all this, but like military history. But specifically, he read a lot of ancient or not ancient, but the Ro Roman history 
from a lot of the the generals and Caesars. And I don't know if you ever saw that HBO show Rome, but yeah. that's based on the Julius Caesar sort of autobiographies. And so the first one sort of Julius Caesar, Conquest of Gaul. And it's a great, great book. And, you know, you might think that they're about actually going to war, but what they're really about is leadership and management. And, you know, and as an MBA, I, I read those books and, you know, the battle scenes were actually, or chapters were actually relatively small. He spent most of the time talking about, man, I got to feed my troops. How am I going to get food there? Or like, I don't want to go to war or go into battle with these guys. We are going to run out of rations. Let, you know, and if I, we just got out of a big battle. So I need to conserve our resources and, you know, maybe we'll surround them so that they can't get food and, you know, we'll wait them out or, you know, we conquered them and I can't leave a whole battalion there. So I got to take him. So how about we, you know, I marry his daughter or one of my <laughs> sons marries their daughter. We take some of their kids hostages, so to speak, but really it's like boarding school in the Roman military, right? We just teach them how to be Romans. And if they do anything crazy, well, we have their kids, right? And, and if you, and you know, the, the net result of that is, wow, this is, while totally different than what we're going through, at least from a literal perspective in, in business, you know, still a lot of the same type of human nature we have to deal with in modern society and our organizations. And, you know, and while not battle per se, going to market, you know, winning the war of, you know, uh, your industry, you know, it is, there is some battle strategy that goes into that. So I think I, I always thought like Caesar's Conquest of Gaul is one of my all-time favorite books. And I usually get that for friends. Mm -hmm as they get big promotions or nice. start new ventures. I'll have to check that one out. Any, any final words of wisdom or ideas, thoughts that you want to share with the audience before we wrap up? Be patient. You know, it's almost the antithesis of sort of startups. Obviously you want to execute and you want to do things, but you also want to be thoughtful and you know, and as you're thoughtful and sometimes the right answer is not necessarily the first answer. And so, you know, one of the things that, I, you know, when we talk about sort of my strategy in, in terms of go to market and, you know, I, it comes down to, you know, raise as, as much money at the best valuation that you can and then hang on for dear life you know, keep your burn as low as you possibly can because options, if you're executing, you know, more options will come to you and more value will accrue to you the longer you can stick it out. That's great advice. How does the audience get more, more of you? LinkedIn, Twitter, blog, what's, what's best? So I'm both available on LinkedIn, Christian Duffus, I swear I'm not catfishing. I generally look exactly the way I am <laughs> now. And Twitter, I'm just at C-D-U-F-F-U-S. I got there early. There you go. Chris, this is awesome. I appreciate you sharing this. I love this conversation. We are going to have to have you on again when, when you sell phone bank. Excellent. I look forward to it, Alex. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.